worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. Beside you, open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. Beside you, open up our eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me.
Thanks for joining us online here at Ebenezer Baptist Church. As we get into our further discussion in this series called Recalibrate, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for time to look at your word. Father, may the truth of your word and the truth of your word in relation to the context in which we live, Father, may those be put together in our minds and our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, guide us this morning as we look at your word from the book of Exodus. Thank you again for being God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're back in our series called Recalibrate. And we're going to continue looking at the story of the life of Moses in relation to God's story. And so, uh, one of the things that we know, and we know by experience, that is that the disturbance of life can create tension requiring difficult adjustments. So those things that happen around us sometimes require us to adjust our lives and change not, not necessarily our focus, but how we look at things so that we can do what we need to do. And so this is what I know. Uh, we're going to talk about masks this morning. The title of the, the sermon or the message this morning is, Are You Wearing a Mask? And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 4 through 6, and we're going to kind of do it in a flyover sense this morning. But this is what I know. Masks disturb communication. Masks disturb communication. They make us repeat. They make us talk louder. Um, we can't read lips, and it blocks the expression and the emotion of the person behind the mask. And so we know that about masks, just as we've had to live with it. We also know that it's culturally a hot topic. And so things that are part of that is just being able to breathe. Personal rights. What right do I have? to wear or not wear a mask? What about my responsibility? Do I have a responsibility to those around me and to my family for wearing a mask? What about the law? And the law that's required or the law that is put forth by 
whether it be a state or a local government. It could even be symbolic of the loss of freedom. And as we've seen, it's also political. We see that almost every day in the opinions of people, others, maybe yourself, regarding masks. You see, depending on the news cycle, um, personal opinion or research, there's no real clear, definitive, 100% certain verdict on whether masks um, are to our advantage or disadvantage. Now, you may want to argue that point, but, but it goes from all different sides with varying, um, varying degrees of passion. See, current realities hint of a cultural direction. And so we could easily see that this may be the norm from now on, that masks are part of our existence. Um, but we also know that this current reality is not pleasing anyone. In fact, no one's happy. Um, everybody has an issue with something regarding dealing with coronavirus and, and even the other things that are happening within our context. And so we find a similar situation when we talk about Moses and his life and his interaction with Pharaoh and the children of Israel. And so we're going to look at that. You remember our general context is we're looking at God's story and specifically following the life of Moses within that story. The first week we looked at Moses' birth to Jochebed. And you remember there was a bounty out on the male children of Israel, and so Jochebed took Moses, put him in a basket, put him in the reeds, and along comes Pharaoh's daughter, finds him, and then they go and grab Jochebed to nurse the child. And so Moses lives with his mom for some time, eventually going back to Pharaoh's household. And so we saw the, the release of Moses to God, essentially wanting to protect him and knowing that the only one that could, per, that could properly protect him would be God. Second week, we looked at some almost 40 years later, we looked at the impulsiveness of Moses. And he walked out among the slaves and the Egyptian taskmasters and noticed an, an inequity. Um, and he noticed a, a Hebrew being beaten. And so Moses, looking both ways, took it upon himself to take the life of the taskmaster. And so he was impulsive. And out of that, realizing Pharaoh was going to chase him, because he had disrespected the household, disrespected law, he goes into exile and ends up in a classroom resembling a desert. This classroom, while he was there, went to the, he went to the textbook of shepherding. And while he is shepherding, we read last week about his call to ministry. He was shepherding along, saw a burning bush that was not consumed, and he said, I will turn and look. And at that point, God says, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground, and begins to proceed to tell Moses how he's going to lead the children out of Israel, or out of Egypt. And so, we, we read that, and we, we see um, that part of Moses' life. Now, we are at the point where we're getting ready to watch Moses go back to Egypt as a spokesperson of God um, for the benefit of the children of Israel. So today we're going to return to Egypt. Forty years have passed where the Hebrew children have been in slavery. 
and they've cried out, and it's been that long since the, a previous Pharaoh chased Moses. And so the Hebrews have settled into their current reality, and at the same time are lifting up this cry to God to come and relieve them of their pain. We also meet today in, in this section of Scripture, we meet Aaron, the, the older brother of Moses, who is a um, spokesperson. He's going to be relaying the instruction of God that comes through Moses to Pharaoh and to the Hebrew children. Aaron is the mouthpiece. He's the one where you can see his lips and you can hear the communication from God. He's a message carrier. He's the face of the information and he is the communicator. So we're going to do a flyover of chapters 4-6, through six, looking at several things, and we're going to look at similarities and, and differences to our context. And, and it's all about, when we read this and considering our context, it's all about how are we going to respond to God when He asks us to do certain things. Because that's the question for Moses, that's the question for Aaron, that's the question for Pharaoh and the Hebrew children. So as we look at this, um, would you turn to Exodus chapter 4, and we'll start reading in verse 13. Verse 13. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. So God is inviting Moses to be his spokesperson. Oh Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not, is there not Aaron, your brother the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth, be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. So, so we get this direction from God to Moses that he's going to use Aaron. And then in verse 30, it says that. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So we see in this passage where Aaron and Moses go before the people of Israel and out of some signs, and you remember signs is a, is a pretty big deal. It shows the activity of God, and we see that in the Gospel of John a lot. John refers to the signs that Jesus did as an indicator of His identity. And so here we see that the people believed, and when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship, so they had a right response to God Almighty, understanding that it was Him speaking to this nation. Then we go a little bit further and Moses requests, through Aaron, Moses requests that the people be let go to go and worship. And then because of that, Pharaoh has in his mind that the people of Israel must not be busy enough. So he makes their work harder and harsher. And so out of that, the foreman for the people of Israel, verse 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? Why do you do this? Why are you making it harder for us? It's not even us asking. It's Moses and Aaron asking. And so there seems to be a little, starting to see a little disconnect 
And so, when this conversation is over, it gets even harder. Take away the straw, still make bricks. Quotient stays the same. And so, this meeting takes place in verse 20 of chapter 5. It says, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. Now, this is like the first parking lot meeting. So, they came out and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Essentially, you've handed them a weapon against us. And you've made us where we're intolerable in the sight of Pharaoh and his taskmasters. Then in verse 22, it says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. God, you didn't seem to keep up your promise. What is your problem, God? And so what we, what we have is we have Pharaoh not being happy. We have Moses and Aaron in this complaint not being happy. The Hebrew children not being happy. No one was happy. Everybody was up in arms and nobody liked the situation. And we could legitimately ask the question, is this a problem with persecution? Is it a problem with persecution? Um, because it says in, in chapter 5, verse 4, that they're not permitted to go worship. And so we have to define what persecution is. Persecution, um, by definition, is hostility or ill treatment because of race, politics, or religion. And, and in other words, it's the civil authorities crossing a line into sacred space and saying you're not allowed to worship. You're not allowed to sing. You're not allowed to praise God. You're not allowed to speak in the name of Jesus. You're not allowed to gather and you're not allowed to spread the Gospel. That would be persecution. And so, is in this passage, is the nation of Israel being prevented from worshiping God? And I would say, in, in one sense, it is persecution. But when we look at our context, we have to ask, is what we are having to do because of COVID-19 persecution? You see, we can't hide the Gospel behind a mask. It's just not possible. Now, I guess it's possible if we choose that, but, it's, but the mask is not the thing that prevents. In fact, our first point in the outline this morning is that masks don't hinder the task. Masks don't hinder the task. We can look at Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are brought in to meet with the elders and the high priest. And they've been proclaiming Jesus and doing some things in Jesus' name, and they're brought in and questioned. And this is what it says in verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. So the elders are inquiring of Peter and John. said, by what power or by what name did you do this? How, how did you accomplish this? By what authority did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God 
raised from the dead. And so we see this, this bold statement by Peter and John to that group of elders that it is about Jesus. And, and nothing was going to prevent that. And so what we see going a little further in that chapter in verse 18, it says, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so here what we see is direct persecution of two individuals who wanted to share the Gospel and are being prohibited from doing so. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we witness something that is life-changing. And you may wish it to go away. You may want it to, to be hidden or buried. But I'm telling you that we have the responsibility to share what we've seen and we've heard because in the name of Jesus is true life, abundant life. And we're not going to stop. And so in our context, is the church being told not to spread the Gospel under penalty of law? And, or is the church, because of cultural circumstances, needing to change the methods for spreading the Gospel? See, there is a distinction when we start talking about persecution. Because when we take persecution and we claim persecution, but it may not be really persecution, we step into a, a vat of arrogance. And so we have to be very careful in how we respond and act and not be so arrogant in our process that we clutch to personal opinion. And so which mask is more detrimental to the church? Is it the mask? Is it the mask like this? Or is it the mask of arrogance? Which one is more detrimental to the church? See, the church will not be annihilated and it won't be destroyed by the act of mere men. It's, it's an impossibility. And how do we know that? Well, we trust that the word of God is true. And if we look at it, if we just Move over to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Um, there's a question that Jesus asked. Who do people say that I am? And there's, some, there's a key phrase in here that I want us to catch. Simon Peter replied to Jesus. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the source is God Almighty. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus is using a little bit of a wordplay with Peter's name. But on this rock, that's the confession of Peter. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Get it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that doesn't sound um, too ambiguous. It doesn't sound like there's question there. I hope that the, the church will survive COVID-19 or racial tension or political parties. I hope the church does, survives all that. That's not what I read when I look at Matthew chapter 16. When I read that, there is a declaration by Jesus that the church will be established under the banner of Jesus' name 
and it will prevail. It will not disappear. It won't be annihilated or destroyed. In fact, you can move over to Revelation 22 and see that it turns out okay. We give so much credit to our current circumstances and those that press in on the church when we must realize that God is bigger than that. See, I think the, the most detrimental mask besides arrogance is, the, is that the church, in the church, it's becoming evident that there is a widening gap between those that are committed believers and those that are marginal believers. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, those that are committed believers see the opportunity for the Gospel and are willing to put in the extra work to make sure the presentation of the Gospel or the proliferation or spreading of the Gospel is greater even in the midst of this crisis than those that would be considered marginal say, we give up. We're just waiting for things to get back to normal. We can't wait for things to get back to normal. For for one very good reason. Normal may never happen. The old normal may be just gone. And I know that's harsh. That's hard. But, but we have to embrace a new um, set of circumstances with the same Gospel message we had when we were meeting every single week in one service and doing Sunday school and all the rest of our meetings together. See, COVID has magnified our priorities. Notice the escalation in, this, in these passages. What, what happens? If Moses, is stops, Moses stops going to Pharaoh and asking, let my people go, or let us go worship, if he stops that, there's the possibility that Pharaoh might back off. But it still leaves the children of Israel in slavery, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a possibility he might back off. But as Moses continues... Pharaoh becomes more belligerent, intolerant, and harsh to Moses and the people of Israel. And and as they press for freedom to worship, as they press the Gospel, um, it it is incumbent upon us to see that the influence of the Gospel in our society will demand from Satan that he respond in a way that will make it hard on the church. See, I think Satan's all over the argument about masks. I think he's all over the argument about questions or thermometers or social distancing. I think he's wanting to use those to um, create disunity within the body of Christ. And in so creating disunity in the body of Christ, also creating isolation within the body of Christ. Our responsibility is to Fight that off. So masks um, don't hinder the task. Second point is that we must fight for what is right. Fight for what is right. The, the church in 2020 um, should not be as concerned about the right to meet or requirements to do so as it is the categorization of the Gospel as hate speech or hate because it offends. You know, we could we can meet and have a ton of different hoops to jump through to be able to get together. And we can claim our rights. That is very possible. However, when the gospel is turned 
as some would categorize it into hate speech, then, then you start seeing the clamping down of the gospel and the, um, the barrier to getting the word out. That becomes persecution. Having to jump through hoops to worship together is not persecution. In fact, we've gotten, we've gotten very eased at how we get to church. Because when this church was started, and we're coming up on our 125th anniversary, when this church was started, how did people get to this property? Well, they walked. These roads weren't paved. They walked on dirt roads and, and traveled different ways to get to this place, and it was not, it was not easy to get here. You know, we make it very difficult with some small things to, to come into a building to worship together. We ought to value our gathering more than that. There's an urgency to our gathering growing and going. And we have to... We know that when the Gospel goes out, it offends. Tim Keller put it this way, if the Bible really came from God and wasn't the product of any one culture, wouldn't it offend every culture in some way. I would agree with Tim Keller. The word of the Gospel is offensive to those that don't want to hear about the gap that exists between an Almighty God and a sinful man. The, the problem is we, the, the solution is provided by God. And it's our joy to share that with others. There is an urgency are gathering, growing, and going, and we should not be sidelined by petty squabbles over personal rights. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 15. Um, they make that the statement, and we read it, the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? Notice the, the vernacular here, the, the words that are used by this foreman. He says, why, Pharaoh, are you punishing your servants? So at the end of chapter 4, they are worshiping and serving God and in the midst of this hardship, they turn and say, hey, hey, Pharaoh, we're serving you. Well, what's the, what's the problem here? We're here to serve you. And they've essentially put God on the shelf. We can't lose our focus. The focus of our allegiance to Christ. See, COVID-19 can be considered a tension to manage rather than a problem to solve. Now, this is a borrowed phrase from Andy Stanley from back in Catalyst 2010. He was talking about organizations, but, but it applies here because we can't solve COVID-19. Now, we may see labs working on, um, labs working on um, shots or pills or something else that would change the effect of COVID-19, but we can't solve that. And because of the circumstances that are not completely understood, we can't even solve with 100% certainty the health of our congregation walking into this building. We don't have the ability to do that. And not, not alone the technology, but just the ability to do it. The example that Andy used in this was the example of opposable thumbs. He said, we have opposable thumbs so we can pick up things. For, for instance, I can take my Bible and I can hold it between my thumb and my forefinger. And it takes some pressure to do that. To be able to pick up this table, 
takes a little more pressure in both hands. And it would be the same thing. But if I want to pick up a contact lens, I use those same, same two instruments, the forefinger and the thumb, and I'm able to pick that up without squashing it. The opposable thumbs is, is a great tool, but it's a great tool under the correct tension. And we are given this tension that we must manage. COVID-19 is a tension to manage more than a problem to solve. And the way Andy puts this, he says, progress depends not on the resolution to the tension, but on the successful management of the tension. There is no foolproof plan that relates to the circumstances that are not completely understood. It was um, several years ago, we went on a trip to Branson, Missouri. And on the way to Branson, we decided to look at a different route or a route that would provide some scenery along the way. And we just wanted to enjoy the ride between Kentucky and Missouri. And so we took this path. And on the map, it was a direct route to Branson. And we knew it was going to be somewhat scenic. There were a few turns on the map. But when we got into it, it was nothing but hairpin turns. And so we encouraged the kids to go to sleep because they were complaining, I don't feel good. You know, and then Debbie was sitting there and going, I'm not feeling great either. And I'm driving and I should be okay. And I wasn't feeling good. And it was like, Deb, find a way to get us off of this road. It's certainly not what we had planned for it to be. Yes, it's scenic, but it was that long and winding road that the Beatles sang of. It was an opportunity to puke. And so we got off that as soon as we could, got back on a main highway, and took the longer way into Branson that was actually a whole lot easier on the stomach, a whole lot easier on the mind as we move forward. You see, it was, it, they were circumstances that were not completely understood when we embarked on that trip. See, our desire for relief can nudge us away from the plan of God. We want God to solve the problem when He's given us the opportunity to manage the tension. Look what it says in, in chapter 6, starting at verse 6. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, so God is directing Moses and Aaron, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord the God, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. What a declaration by God. Saying, I'm going to do all this for you, and He lays it out in front of them. But look at their response. Here in verse 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Their circumstances had gotten the best of them. And they started to forget that God was on their side and was 
intimately acquainted with their situation and wanted to redeem them out of Egypt, but they would have to trust Him. See, we can look back now with 2020 vision, if you will, at God's hand at work in the life of Moses, in the life of Pharaoh, in the life of the Hebrew children, and, and we understand that Pharaoh faces a demise that's coming. And the Israel's freedom is just around the corner. And so we could look back and essentially yell into the Hebrew children and say, it'll be okay, trust God. It'll be okay, trust God. And from 2020 vision, looking at Scripture, we can do that. But we have a hard time doing that in our own context, in the circumstances of today. We realize that 20, 30, 50 years from now, as we leave a legacy of faith to those that come behind us, that those in the future will be able to look back at the circumstances of today and scream back at us, it'll be okay, trust God. It'll be okay, trust God. It'll be okay, lean into God. We need to fight for what is right, to not let masks, masks that don't hinder the task. And lastly, our third point is that the name of the game is God's fame. This is all about God and His story. And there are three, three principles or three phrases I want us to consider um, as we apply this passage to our own context. The first one is celebrate your freedom in the Gospel. Celebrate your freedom in the Gospel. You see, Jesus Christ provided salvation for us. God provided salvation for us through His Son, Jesus, who took our place, took on our sin, and we can trust Him for salvation, for abundant life, for eternal life. And then we can thank God that He did that. That there is no virus or no circumstance in life that can dim or hinder the love of God. So we have freedom in the Gospel and then to celebrate our access to the Gospel. It's not illegal to declare your story within God's story. You can still tell it. You can talk about a time before you knew Christ and realizing your need for Christ and and share with somebody how you trusted Christ, but then in the circumstances like we have today, you can have confidence in Christ. Grace has given us every opportunity to share the love of Christ, but also the opportunity to, um, to soak in what God has given us. Grace has given us the opportunity for access online. Now, some of you may be doing this this morning, but... Did you know you can go on to version and you can look at different translations of Scripture and you can even follow along with our message notes from Sunday morning through the version app. You have access to that. Many of you have a print version of Scripture that you have access to. But what if that access was removed? What if the access, the, the ability for you to look at it was revoked? Would you have enough of God's Word in your heart and in your head to survive? So we need to celebrate our access to the Gospel by taking advantage of what God has given us. And lastly, celebrate your influence 
for the Gospel. We have an open door to discuss our confidence in God. You say, how do I do that? I mean, we're separated. We can't do that. Um, maybe, maybe we need to look at it from a, a little bit different perspective. Think about what has happened over the last several months. We are now um, getting ready to go into school, and I would say pray for teachers, for students, for administration, for school board, for all those that are making decisions about in the classroom, online, virtual, um, virtual environments, all those kinds of things, and, and realize that those kind of situations where it's virtual, where you're inviting somebody or in a meeting by Zoom or Google Teams or some other um, method of getting together, that those provide opportunities for people to come into your home. And so what prevents you from sharing the Gospel in your own home? What prevents you from guarding doctrine within your own home because you now have access and see what is happening? So there's, there's all kinds of advantages to that. In fact, we can even take the Gospel in a small way and put it up behind us as a backdrop to our meeting and, and even in silence share why we have confidence in Christ. So the potential is there. And then the expanding social media environment just in general gives us the opportunity to connect with people with the Gospel and say, here's why we have confidence. Because God is God. He declares just like He did to the Hebrew children, declares to us, I am the Lord. And so we have opportunities in front of us to take the Gospel, maybe by different methods and means, but take that same eternal message of the Gospel to the community around us and to the world around us by the internet. And so there, there's a question that Timothy Dalrymple, who's president and CEO of Christianity Today, asked. And it's not a political statement. It's just a question for us to consider when we start talking about persecution, mass, re-entering the building, and all the things that go on regarding the current state of the church. He asked this question. Will we rise to the challenge history has thrust upon us? It's a simple question. Will we rise to the challenge that history has thrust upon us? I would love to be able to answer yes. We, as a church, must decide if we will let things get in the way of us proclaiming the Gospel, or we will take the Gospel with intentionality and the power of the Holy Spirit to go places whether they be online or in person, to places with the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that is only found in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. Father, we want to be sensitive to Your Spirit. And so as we respond to Your Word, as we look at this passage and then respond um, to our context, to our circumstances, Father, help us to be allegiant to Your name more than anything else. And Father, may the church rise. May the church be that entity that proclaims hope and life through Jesus Christ amidst opposition and amidst hardship to proclaim all that You are and 
all that you do for your glory and your fame. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad you've chosen to join us this morning. I want to give you a quick update. Um, On September 6th, we'll be coming back to our building for in-person live worship. We'll do it the same way we did before with two worship services. Um, We will have a little different entry, um, uh, a way of entering the building uh, during that time. For, for Maybe it's a, another hoop to jump through. I get that. And I get there that there will be those that don't want to do that. Uh, but let me assure you, the, the, um, the driving force behind this is the health of our congregation. So we don't want anybody to be left out when we open the doors. We want to make it as comfortable for everyone as we possibly can. And for some, these, these hoops become a matter of invasion. And I get that point, but I want us to look past that to just seeing the opportunity for what it is we get to gather. And we get to celebrate the name of Christ together for worship. And so I hope you'll join us September 6th. I would encourage you to go to our Stay Healthy page that, have, that will have more details about our reopen process and what it looks like when you come to our property beginning Labor Day weekend. Thanks again for joining us this morning. I hope you have a great week and may God bless. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.